Hi, I'm Deb Crow, and welcome to season two of the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. This is a podcast where we connect, learn, and laugh together with strong leaders from all over the globe. Here, you will learn from peers you haven't even met yet. You will gain new tools to add to your leadership toolbox. Because whether you're a C-suite executive or a first-time entrepreneur, we all contend with challenges and there's always room for improvement if we choose to seek it. So please pull up a chair and listen in. This is the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. Welcome back to Imperfect, the Heart-Centered Leadership Podcast. I don't know how you're feeling about LinkedIn and social media these days, but I am continuing to connect and meet with just phenomenal heart-centered leaders around the globe. I do believe that we are beyond the entry and well into the tunnel of the next phase and trend of leadership that you've heard me speak of called VUCA 2.0. And I'm going to get into that conversation today. I have a phenomenal guest. His name is Jared Nairlock. And let me tell you a little bit about him. He's a keynote speaker. He's an author. He's a talent development coach. Can't wait to talk about that. And he teaches leaders how to build highly engaged and accountable teams, which is needed more than ever. And we've certainly seen that since March of 2020. He has more than 16 years of experience partnering with C-level executives, chief culture officers, leaders, and HR professionals. His background encompasses all aspects of HR with an emphasis in organizational, excuse me, development and employee relations. Jared is a former VP of talent development and also a TEDx speaker. So I could go on and on about how fabulous he is, but let's just welcome Jared to the show. Thank you, Deb. I appreciate it. And so thankful to be here and and what heart-centered leadership truly stands for. As you mentioned, the the type of work that is is really being called for by employees in the workplace today. Absolutely. And uh, we have so much to talk about. So I'm, I'm going to dig in if you're ready. Sounds great. Now, I know that you were, I'm going to do a preface and give a little bit of context before I ask my first leadership question. I know you were honorably discharged from the United States Air Force and you finished your graduate degree. Share with us where your passion for learning came. That's kind of part one of this question. And how have you taken all of those skills that you learned in such a disciplined and structured environment and brought it into the work you're doing now? Because I'm always fascinated. I'll unpack this more as we go, but I'm excited to hear the change for you. And I'll let you answer that first question. It's a big one. (laughs) You bet. And it is one of those, when I was in the Air Force, I had the opportunity in joining to decide amongst a couple of different career fields. And the one that I chose because it seemed like the the best path at the time was computer systems operator. And so basically I was working with ones and zeros computers. And here I was, I was a person that loved to interact with people. And so I started researching knowing this was the best of the options that were in front of me. But I thought, okay, I know there's other special duty assignments. And I found this special duty assignment that was a instructor in technical training. 
And I thought, okay, that's adult education. That's what I ultimately want to get into. That's what I love. And so I went for the special duty assignment and it was there that the Air Force really invested in me around adult learning, around objectives and testing, the things that set up the foundation for my career in talent development. And so was so thankful for that. And it was my time actually going through Hurricane Katrina. I got the special duty assignment. My wife and I were in Biloxi, Mississippi, and we were there about eight months and Hurricane Katrina came through. We lost everything in the hurricane and wasn't sure if I was going to get to stay, but I was one of the individuals that was asked to stay and ended up continuing on another three years there doing that work, finding that love, and then separating from the Air Force, being honorably discharged, continued that out. And to the second part of that question, taking that structure, that discipline, and finding how do I how do I accompany that? How do I partner that with others? Because what they're actually finding out and really working towards right now in the Air Force is more humanity, more authenticity. And I got the opportunity to talk and spend some time with the colonel who actually brought Brene Brown's work, Dare to Lead. Her and I were in Dare to Lead certification together because she saw what, what I saw when I actually left the Air Force and, and really thought, how do I partner this discipline? How do I partner these skills that have helped, but in a more humanistic and authentic way in workplaces? And so that's what ultimately set out to my journey in adult education, talent development. And it took some time and effort to see where those pieces partnered up. But I had some great coaches, some wonderful mentors along the way that helped me refine that, that helped me research that and bring forward a different type of partnership that uh, was much more exploratory and listening and, and figuring out how those pieces could be uh, helpful to others when they were connected to what they were truly looking for in that moment and meeting them where they were at at that point in time, which was different for each person. Oh, you are speaking my language. I love it. And exciting for you that you got to do Brene Brown certification. I know quite a few people now that have done that. I'm a huge fan. She, she, unbeknownst to her, she's a huge mentor. And I think there's a catalyst there for the work that she does and why I named this podcast Imperfect. And it's, I'm going to shift a couple of questions around here just because what you just answered has segued nicely into what I wanted to ask for question three. So we can move things around here. You know, there's such a degree of perfection and stature. And you know, from listening to, to the podcast, I'm all about inclusivity. And let's open the bandwidth for leadership. It belongs to everybody. I've yes. incorporated children into season two. They are our future. And to hear you know, out of the mouths of a young eight-year-old, our first one that we had, Evie, they have a great concept and interpretation of leadership. So as you have beautifully unpacked your background, your education, your stumbles along the way, share with us what you think about the languaging, because I, I've seen a huge migration and I, I'd love your opinion on this. We're getting rid of human resources. We're getting rid of human capital. We're seeing a shift in HR titles and statures and unveiling, if you will, of, of how you lead and not just be that generalist because there's people behind these numbers. 
And I would love to hear from you. Is it long overdue? Do you think COVID helped migrate this? Where do you think CHRO, VP of Talent and Culture, what do you think was kind of the tsunami that finally moved us into putting people first, which is where we should have been for many decades? Oh, I love I love that question and, and your approach and the work that you continue to do around that as well. And I, I think it happened before COVID. It was one of the things that I, I know I was listening to a lot of different thought leaders share what they were seeing. And I know in my work in, in talent development, I was seeing it as well, is that group coming into the workforce, to your point about those children, they were seeing it. You know, it was different skill sets coming forward and they're saying, wait a minute, why should what I receive in all these other areas of my life be different in the workplace? Why would it be this way and this structure and why not truly being able to be vulnerable, being able to be empathetic? Why isn't that there? And so as they were asking for it and as some of them were becoming leaders very quickly because of generational gaps and and you had these uh, this this generation being called into leadership, formal leadership, much earlier than previous generations, people were realizing, okay, the shift is here. And I saw, I got the opportunity in 2016 or 2017 to do a learning journey of some of the best organizations in the Washington, D.C. area from engagement. And I heard a consistent theme. And most of these places were originally startups where people said, I entered the workforce and I was working for places that didn't align with that type of leadership, those types of values of vulnerability, of empathy. And they said, I decided, and these were the founders of these companies, I decided I was going to create it. And those were people were jumping to work for. And at the same time, I visited one organization that said, we used to have a line of people that were in their master's programs that wanted to come here and do a fellowship here. And all of a sudden it stopped. And when we asked them why, they said, we don't want to work for you. You you have no care for your people. It is as if it's just numbers. And that was a big wake-up call for them that they needed to change things. And I think you see that trend now where organizations are realizing, hey, if we're not truly putting people-centered focus, we're not going to be able to get those coming into the workforce and we're going to struggle. And so you hope that they're doing it for the right reason, but, but even some of those that that are still struggling to get there are realizing Hey, if we don't, we're not going to have the, the, these wonderful human beings that are doing some amazing things that they're seeing these other organizations thrive. And you see the organizations that have that type of leadership that are wiping away some of the traditional thoughts, some of the traditional titles and saying, let's be exploratory. Let's partner together. Let's be curious versus judgmental and see where we can go with this. And you see some uh, great exploration. Not everything works. And that's okay. And people are realizing that and they're getting though to some some unique pieces and some healthy dialogue and healthy conversations. And it's it's exciting to see because you see that shift. And I think it's going to be harder and harder for those organizations that aren't wanting to explore that, aren't willing to do that, to find people to work in their organizations because people expect that. They do expect it. And, you know, With these unprecedented times, I have seen a lot of employees who have said, I'm happy to be at home. 
I've seen the ones that are like, I miss the social connection. We've had the whole gamut of how people are feeling. So I'm going to park that thought for a minute. I'm going to come back to it in my last question. But let me ask you my third question. It's the one that has permanent residency on the show. What imperfections does Jared bring to his heart-centered leadership? Yes, wonderful question. And, And one that I talk regularly about, you know, when it comes to imperfections, one of the things that that I've learned early on about myself, and it was actually in the vice president of talent development role, that I struggled around self-preservation versus truly serving others. And it's something that I've worked on over the last few years. It's what led me to my journey of uh, exploration around becoming a peaceful power leader, as I call it. And in the moments where stuff got real gritty, real tough, I would go to, okay, how can I self-preserve? There's a mess over here. And sometimes I share the, this story that, that really was a defining moment for me. I was a part of a project of a new enterprise resource solution going into an organization which had supply chain, had finance, had human resources. And when it went live, the one big thing everyone said was, let's make sure everyone gets paid. That's the big piece. As long as everyone gets paid, they're not so concerned about this or that. It is going to help them. It is going to make things easier. But that's our biggest priority starting out. And guess what, Deb? First time it went live, people did not get paid. Something went wrong. And I saw it that morning. And I was a sub-project lead. There were the two project leads. And then me and another individual were the sub-project leads. And so I got a hold of one of the project leaders and said, hey, it doesn't look like people are getting paid. And people knew me and the team that I was leading at the time knew I cared about people greatly. And so when I got there, there was a line out my door of team members, of people within the division saying, hey, what do we tell people? What is going on? And in the moment, I tried to do everything I could to stay away from it. And I told myself the story hey, I'm not a project lead. Those individuals are going to have to deal with it. They're going to have to answer to the the CEO as to why this is happening. And I remember one of the team members coming to me and saying, Jared, regardless of what's happening right now, there are people that have automatic payments coming out that are overdraft because they didn't get paid. There are people that are already called in that can't come in for their shift because they're unfortunately living paycheck to paycheck and aren't able to put gas in their car. We have to tell them something, time frame, anything, because we were scrambling. We weren't ready for it. And in that moment, for me, it was a realization that I was not connected to my values the way that I thought I was. And since that day, I did a lot of exploration. And it's one of the biggest things of, of finding my values, of being able to connect, of being able to step into those hard moments. And it ultimately led me to have a conversation with my spouse where I shared, hey, if I came home one day and didn't have a a role in the workplace and no longer had a job because I leaned into my values and I held firm to them, are you okay with that? Because that's where I'm at when when I got to that place of true peace for me and that alignment. And she said, it's about time. I could tell you've been wrestling for this for some time now. But that was really that defining moment where I struggled and realized, wow, you know, I'm not the leader that I'd hoped for. Uh, But also over the years, I've learned to give grace to myself and realize that there are those moments we do screw up. Most of the time, it's daily, right? We are imperfect. 
But for me, it was truly being able to get to a place of serving others in lieu of self-preservation. That's a beautiful answer. I've never had anybody unpack it like that. And I join you in the Imperfect Club daily. And I, you know, the best laugh I have is at myself. Yes. But I love that you leaned into your values. And that was me 31 years ago when I started my company. I had those four bosses in a row. And it didn't matter how I did it. I was told that love and leadership and gregariousness, and I was just too happy. Yeah. And my gut was always like, but this isn't what I was taught growing up. And I leaned into those values at 24. And sometimes being a leader is lonely. You are correct. It can be a lonely place. And that's something that I I share regularly with leaders. uh, Why it's so important to have the connections. I know you talk a lot about those connections that in that leadership role, we may not have it right there. But if we have those strong connections in different areas, those people are the ones. I just had a conversation yesterday morning with a connection who is a leader that I've, I've connected with at different points in my career over the last 10 years. And, you know, she needed that. She needed that discussion yesterday. There have been times where I needed it, but it can be a very lonely place. Great point. Well, my last question is so relatable and in alignment, and I'm really excited to hear your answer. I love chatting to my leaders about VUCA, and I know that you know this, and it was a concept for those of you listening that originated with students from the U.S. Army War College. And VUCA stands for volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. And I said at the beginning of this session with Jared that I think, and I see, and I know in my heart, COVID has given the birth to VUCA 2.0. And that means vision, understanding, clarity, and agility. I would love to hear your Cole's Notes version on your vantage point, your bird's eye view, what you've seen. And I feel really happy about this because a lot of leaders are stepping into their greatness. And what have you noticed with the shift to VUCA 2.0? Yes, I'm right there with you. I've seen a different level of, of, sometimes people want to use that word presence but the focus of presence and how people are looking at things. I know I I shared with you, I'm looking at those days uh, of how I spend it with with family differently, where my son, if I can have that extra day, I'm taking it, realizing just the importance of the full life alignment. We hear that term sometimes work-life balance. and, And I think people are pushing the balance aside and saying, okay, how does this align across the board? And how do we bring that into the workplace? Because we realize through COVID and and many have talked about it, we got to see so much inside other people's worlds beyond what they were showing up with at work. And I think a lot of people realize from that, that vision standpoint, oh my, people have a lot going on. And sometimes we, we judge and we say, oh, this person isn't bringing their best. But then through that look inside of, of what we got to see from so many people, realizing, oh, people's best changes from day to day. And I want them to extend grace to me on those days where my best maybe isn't where it was last week, 
but that they know that. And at the same time, me remembering that to extend grace, extend kindness, stay in that curiosity and truly help people ensuring that that inclusion is there, that they can show up and be their true authentic self. And that we talk about what does that mean? And, And we talk about healthy boundaries as we grow and extend trust together as well. And so I do see that shift happening, uh, that 2.0. And I think those places that said, okay, here's a check the box, that that was a period in time, we got to go back to the way things were, they're going to be left behind. And they're going to be saying, well, what do we do now? And how do we, you know, find this wonderful talent that we're seeing in other places, because they want it, right? They, they hear about that culture, they want that culture, they want to see it. But then sometimes struggle to, to stay in that curiosity and find out that, hey, there's no clear-cut plan. It's truly about embracing those imperfections, talking about it, seeing what people bring forward, and then gaining clarity from that of, of how do we partner together. And that partnership is so important because sometimes we get in that mindset of a leader tells, right? We had those old competencies about telling and, and delegating and directing. And truly, that leader is, is that individual, title or no title, that's willing to step into courage and have those hard conversations. Have those conversations that, as we just talked about, may spill over into days of loneliness because people are pondering and thinking, wow, that was really difficult to hear what that person said, but then realizing that that come, came from a place of, of help and not hurt. And so I think uh, that shift is coming. And the importance of learning those skill sets, learning how to embrace that full spectrum of emotions and how organizations help their employees do that and partner with their team members and do that is going to be vital as we continue in the workplace. You know, it makes me think of we I've had so many conversations and some good laughs on the show. One of my guests said, oh, I saw on social media that you were out riding your bike. Did you take the day off? And I said, no. And she's like, what do you mean? And I said, don't you have white space in your calendar? And she goes, what is that? And I said, you need to go Google the conversation between Warren Buffett and Bill Gates. Because that when I saw them doing that, it was such an eye-opener for me that I didn't have to have the whole day scheduled. And so for those of you listening, when you slow down and get even more intentional, guess what? You're more productive. And progressive without perfection. And one last thing I just wanted to add before I ask in my Fab Four, work-life balance went out to the curb with the garbage years ago. I cannot stand that term. I used to use that term. It's impossible. It's imperfect. Work-life integration, though, has lots of room. So love that point. Okay, I'm going to switch to my fast, Fab four, we want to know what is on the top of that brilliant mind of yours. So here we go. First question, tell us something we don't know about you. Something a lot of people don't know about me is, as I mentioned early on, I love people and that generated originally out of performance. And so I used to spend a lot of time in improv and acting, was once offered a Broadway internship. And it was at a pivotal point of deciding, was I going to go into the Air Force, which I saw as a way to get my education and have the opportunity to serve my country, or was was I going to take that Broadway internship? And ultimately, I went into the Air Force. 
And I know there's transferable skills when you say, come on, let's improv. Let's, let's act this out. That would be a fun thing. Okay. Second question. Finish this sentence for me. Heart-centered leadership is? Bringing your true authentic self and knowing that that doesn't mean it's always going to be pretty, doesn't mean it's always going to be easy, but it does mean that you're able to stay connected to your values and really help take care of yourself and others in the process. Love that. Now, normally I ask my guests what book they're reading, but I'm shaking things up today because you have a new book and you've titled it Becoming a Peaceful Powered Leader, How to Shed Fear, Live Courageously and Own Your Peace. That is a mouthful. (laughs) Give us an overview of when did you get that feeling in your gut and that passion to say, now is the time I'm going to write this book. And we'll make sure everyone has the details below in the podcast episode description, but Just give us a little glimpse into where that came from. Yes, that was about two and a half years ago. And my son, unfortunately, had a massive seizure and he had to be life flighted. I was speaking at a conference in Seattle. At the time, we were living in Bend, Oregon, about six hours apart. And my wife called me that morning and she said, I don't know what to do. And called 911, the ambulance came and they could not, they could not uh, get him to stop seizuring. They eventually intubated him. He was life flighted to Portland. I met them there. And it was through that experience that I had a mindset of go, go, go. I was in that that traditional leadership approach. I was still searching for uh, the connection to values. This was not long after that story that I shared about the enterprise resource solution and and self-preservation. And I thought, there's got to be a different way here. I want to be able to continue to lead, but how am I bringing that to all areas of my life? And I definitely felt as though I was disjointed and not in peace. And so I went on an exploration, really looking to say, how do I bring my best to those that I'm serving to the organization and also the other areas of my life? And so it was through research, through talking to different thought leaders and through a lot of reflection And I found really six pieces that involves how we set known our reality, first and foremost, how we step into that accountability. And from there, how do we build others up? Because I found it's such a different place when we're not in comparison, but instead we realize it's our journey and how we can help each other along the way. And then that third piece that I talked about earlier, that instead of that self-preservation, that service to others and stepping out of that uh, you know, self-preservation, that service to self in a hurtful way versus a helpful way. And then ultimately, how do we invest in others and set sacred time for ourselves? Such an important piece. How are we building and investing in ourselves so that we in turn can help others in that process as a leader? And then finally, how do we step into that empowerment, kind of coming full circle to setting and owning our reality to create that environment for others? And what I found is when I'm following that process, and I've worked on this with others from a partnership coaching capacity, they found it as well. It truly is a peaceful place. Doesn't mean that we're not regularly working at it for that integration and that alignment. But when I go back to and say, hey, I'm out of my peace right now, what's going on? And that first piece of setting and owning my reality, oh, you know what? I stepped out of that here. What can I do to step back into that? And that usually 
gets me back on that path and same with others. But sometimes that's maybe there. And as I explore others, it steps into that. And so that's what I would share as the overall of, of becoming that peaceful power leader of bringing forward and connecting to your reality, your ownership, and, and how it relates to others as well. Well, I love that. And I, I'm excited to read your book. And I think there's certainly alignment and collaboration with my heart-centered leadership model. I think what I love about this, and I want to point out to the listeners, is we have similar languaging, but what we bring to our individual models and to our clients is so wrapped up and intersected with our morals, our belief system, our values, our upbringing, our life experiences, our work experiences. That's what makes all the different approaches so fun. And to me, the more heart-centered leaders we have on the globe, I think it's going to be a better place. I agree. I agree, Deb. And, and so thankful for, as I, I shared you know, before we got going today, what you bring in your work and the impact that it's had and, and how I came across. You know, I'm always looking for people that are growing and connecting with others. And I love the the power and the emphasis that you put on connection and what that means. So thank you for what you do and for the opportunity to be here with you today. Well, I'm going to ask you my last question, but I just want to add a comment. I'm not a big fan of the word coach. I, I think it it's overused. And I did a post on LinkedIn and I said, when you think of the C word and you see my name, think connection. One of my, well, my last boss that I had before I went into my own business, she said to me, you're too nice. When you're too nice and too happy, people are just not going to be nice to you. It will never be reciprocal. Like you're just too nice. Talk about putting gas in my emotional gas tank. I was like, really? I, I think I can be nice and I think I can lead. And it's been a 31 year journey, but I always knew just in that pit of my, my stomach, that intuition management, I knew it was the right thing. And it's been a hard path to basically forge forward, but I love failing and I love failing forward. And I love getting back up because that is the magic, that resiliency, that emotional agility. And I think leaders like you talk about who own that internal growth, that's who I want to hang out with. I'm right there with you for sure. Yeah. And it's not easy. Sometimes people see nice as, oh, you think that's an easy path. It's a really hard path. But to your point of connection, I've seen so many beautiful connections grow out of that kindness. Doesn't mean we don't have to have those hard conversations at times. It just means that we realize there's a different path to getting there. Well, and, and you know, just to finish this and close it off, kindness is not a weakness. I think it's a superpower. I agree. I agree. Okay, my last question for you, because I could sit and talk to you all day. Tell us what you'd like our listeners to remember about you. One thing that I always like to share with people is if you're struggling to say, okay, what's my intention for today is three things that I share. How do we encourage courage in others? Maybe it's that mirror moment each day to look in the mirror and say, what am I excited about today to bring out into the world? And it doesn't have to be a big thing, but then how do I carry that to others and encouraging courage? How do I inspire action? Action is ultimately what leads to change. And when it comes to development, that was a big piece that I saw missing at times 
where someone would come and say, oh, to one of my workshops, I loved this. And then I'd see them two months later and they'd say, I, I didn't have time to jump into that. And so it became part of my mission to say, how do I work it so that they can find an anchor into a process that's already existing to take that action and that they're able to do that with others. So encourage courage, inspire action. And the last one, which we just talked about, how do I spread kindness? And imagining if we just spent five to 10% more time a day being deliberate on spreading kindness, what can that do? We never know the impact. And I've had people reach out years later and they talk about a specific moment and said, do you know when you did this, the impact that it had? And I usually share, no, not, not until you shared right now, but thank you so much for that. And just so thankful when you hear those pieces, never expecting a return on it, but ultimately knowing, hey, this may have a further impact in somebody's life. How do we spread that kindness? And I've been so thankful when people have done that, when I needed that in those moments. So encourage courage, inspire action, and spread kindness. I love that. Well, I think you and I crossing paths, I'm not, I'm not a big proponent of coincidences. I, I set a daily intention that whoever I'm to meet or speak to that they're put on my path. So every day I hear some coincidence that we met and I'm like, oh, it's really not. I'm delighted that we've crossed paths. I, I'm honored to have you on the show and thanks so much for sharing your time and your wisdom and your expertise and more importantly, your heart today. Same here. Thank you so much, Deb. You've been listening to the Heart Centered Leadership Podcast. I'm Deb Crow. If you like what you heard today, please rate and review the show. And I'd love it if you'd visit my website at debcrow.com, where you can sign up for my newsletter and get access to the Heart Centered Leadership Toolkit, all free of charge. Thanks for your time, and we'll see you again.